0: I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Oust. Hi Rena. Hi Amanda, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. It is another lovely sunny day here in Sydney. We haven't seen rain for what three, four months.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been, um, we had a sporadic few showers that here and there. there
0: weren't anything of, of substance, to be honest. Maybe when this is going to air, we will have had a deluge and everybody will be so. saying, <laughs> bring back the sun. <laughs> so how's life in uh, the land of strata been for you? Yeah, very busy actually. Quite a lot happening, uh, meetings, etc. So yeah, it's been quite good actually. It's that time of the year. Yeah. where uh, We've had a bit of a rush on... Uh, Bylaw reviews and bylaw consolidations, 30th of November being the date by which those should have been completed, at least in terms of the review. And, yeah, I've had a few buildings come to me at the last minute and say, please, please, please. And I've said, unfortunately, I am booked up, believe it or not. Mm. Yeah, I think – I mean, I've had this on agendas since earlier this
1: year, Amanda, like starting mm. February when sort of after everyone came back from the whole air break. But people just leave it to the last minute, unfortunately, yep. and you're sort of trying to get people to have a look before the meeting. You have it on the agenda. You've sent all the current bylaws and, and unfortunately, mm. um, even at the meeting, people haven't really spent much time looking at it, so – yeah. it's been one of those things that seems to have dragged out and I think at the end of the period that we're coming up to being the end of November when it when we all have to have reviewed it by mm. I think everyone's just having to say they're reviewing it and then any changes will be suggested at the next general meeting because it's yes. really no time to put forward any changes
0: Yes, between mm-hmm. now and then really. Yeah, that's a good point. That is an option because the requirement in the Act is simply to review the bylaws and um, there's no requirement to actually make your amendments, additions, repeals, whatever it is you're going to do and to register those by the 30th of November. So if you're if you've left it to the last minute, if you can at least hold a strata committee meeting and resolve either that the bylaws are in ship shape, so we've reviewed them and they're looking good, we're not going to do anything, or that they do need to be reviewed and further consideration will be given to that in the very near future. Yep, Yeah, that's the advice we've been giving, so that's good. So, Rena, what has been challenging you this week? Well I've, I've got a
1: building that um I took care of in June this year and they have a November financial year end and the levy that had been struck was the first quarter in the new financial year. So it was 1 December 2016, ending on 28th of February 2017. Mm-hmm. And so in um, June when I had taken over, there was no levy struck for March, April, May, and June. Mm-hmm. And by the time, you know, you do the take on and you, you know, go through the records and meet with the committee and see what has to be done and what funds need to be raised and hold the AGM, it, it was actually – the AGM was held in August, so two months after we'd taken over. So that meant that the levies were running out of money because they didn't obviously have enough money in their fund to start off with. But the thing that I'm sort of raising as to um, why the AGM should be held in a timely manner is that there was actually a settlement that occurred on the 2nd of June. And when the Section 184 certificate was issued, of course, there were no levies due and owing at that time because mm, there'd been no been levies. Struck. Struck, And so then when I've sent out the um, new levy notice to the new owners that had settled on the 2nd of June and the levy commences from the period of 1 March onwards, they then wrote to me and said, well, we're not paying this and, you know, we didn't know about this. And, Mm. you know, I said, well, I understand that your Section 184 certificate, which obviously I had a copy of in in the records, did show that there was no levy. So that was because there was none struck. So anyway, they refused to pay and I said, well, you need to go back to your lawyer and, and sort it out with your lawyer and obviously the other lawyer acting for the previous lot owner and and coming. But they are liable for the levies because the levies travel with the lot and I think they've come to some arrangement with the previous owner. I haven't seen the check come through yet, so it's now October. Yeah. Uh, But we'll see how we go. But I just wanted to remind strata managers that, I mean, sometimes there are legal repercussions that occur when when you don't hold a levy, an AGM on time. Now, even though I think they knew that they were going to be terminated and there'd been some efforts to frustrate the process by some of the committee members, one particular person in, and the agent sort of acting again on, on the instructions of one person. I think it's something else that we've raised, demand in, in numerous mm. of our podcasts. But it does have an impact when, you know, you don't hold an AGM on time, you don't strike levies. It has an impact on the cash flow for the scheme. It has an impact when someone buys in. Yep. And unfortunately for this person, they actually hadn't really undertaken a strata search because, yeah. you know, the levies were quite huge. And and the lawyer wrote to me, you know, really, why are they be so high? You know, a very sort of the tone was quite aggressive, and I said, well, you yeah, know, if your client hadn't had taken a strata search, they would have realised that there's actually a fire order on this building, which is why, mm-hmm. you know, and the money that we've raised to date is by no means anywhere near what we have to raise once we get all our final quotes in and things and um, for the tenors that have been issued. But it just shows that you really need to make sure that an AGM is held within the proper timeframes. Now, under the new Act now, it says per year. Yeah, once in each financial year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I know sometimes people, some agents have been Delaying that, you know, sometimes for reasons beyond their control and sometimes on the instructions of, of committee members, um, which I've in one particular example, I have the, the agents on that, again, you know, on the advice of the committee, and therefore levies haven't been struck for, not, for about three months now for another scheme. So again, mm. it, it does affect the running of the scheme if someone's buying and selling in that period because yeah. there will be a shortfall for when they settle and when the levy is then struck in the period that it's covering.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting point that about the incoming purchaser not being on notice that levies are due, I suppose, because they weren't actually due. They weren't in the section uh, 184 notice. And look, it's been a long time since I've done any conveyancing, but there are clauses in the standard form contract for sale that deal with how Levies are to be apportioned on settlement. And I think it says something about the adjustment of regular periodic contributions. Now, there was probably a bit of back and forth between the lawyers there about whether there were any regular periodic contributions because they hadn't been struck. So interesting exactly. to see that they seem to have resolved that in a way that uh, at least there is a check coming to you. Um, who's funded that? <laughs> yeah. I wonder. But, I think
1: it would have to be a man of the previous owner. There's no yeah, way. I that, would think so, yeah. Because they were the owner. Of of a lot for that
0: time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at that period, so yeah, yeah. But no, you want to avoid that situation. So it's not just about you know having meetings to pass bylaws and confirm minutes and things like that. Mm. You do need to be thinking about levies that need to be raised, and if they're not struck for the next quarter, then there ain't going to be any money, honey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, my challenge for this week. I've had a question from a member inside the YSP online community and this member has quite astutely, let me say, pointed out the difference between the standard form SCA Strata Management Agency Agreement, the difference between uh, what's being called the 2016 version and the 2020. 17 version. Now, Rena, were you aware there's two different recent versions of the SCA standard agency agreement? Um, there was one that was issued last year in November, I think, or early December,
1: mm-hmm. just after the new act came in. And we'll it would have been November, I'd say. Um, and there's actually a workshop for managing agents at SCA put on, on how to, you know, complete the new agency agreements. Mm-hmm. And then there was another one that came out in July this year from memory for those that had signed that they weren't using. And you also had to, had to sign a declaration that you wouldn't be using any prior version of the agreement as well. That was one of the conditions that SCA had put on members because we don't want people, you know, using different versions and, and amending them. We, with The legislation we wanted people to use the current version. So an updated version was then issued in July this year.
0: Right. So that's where the 2017 version is coming from. Yeah. Okay, now I don't get to see these uh, different versions of the agency agreement because not being a strata manager and a member in that form of SCA, uh, I don't have access to those agreements. But this person has sent to me the Clause 6 that is in the 2016 version as compared to the Clause 6 that is in the 2017 version. And the purpose of Clause 6 is basically to set out what the managing agent is liable for and not liable for. And what's quite clear when you compare these two Clause 6s is that the new 2017 version attempts to limit the liability of the agent in a much broader way than the 2016 version was. So what used to be clauses 6.1 to 6.4 has now become 6.1 to 6.6, so it's mm-hmm. it's much longer. And where previously the agent was not excluded from being liable for breach of statutory duty. So if the agent breached the act, uh, they were liable to be sued in negligence. Now the new 2017 contract says that the agent is excluded from liability even in relation to a breach of the act, so a breach of their statutory duty. And I'm really heavily summarizing that. There's all sorts of conditions that apply to exclude that liability, but to cut to the chase, what the 2017 version is trying to do, and I, I'm gonna get into why I don't think it can do that, is trying to limit the liability of the managing agent in certain circumstances more so than the 2016 contract did. And this person's contacted me and said, Amanda, is that legal? Mm. And and they were very concerned to see this change when they've their old contract from last year had a, a much shorter and Narrower clause six, and now the new contract they've been told to sign has a much broader clause six. And the point I want to make in response to that A, to really provide proper advice on this would take many hours and and cost a building a considerable amount of money. But the short story, uh, and this is not in any way advice but guidance, is that the Australian consumer law applies to make these kinds of terms unfair and therefore unenforceable. So terms that attempt to limit liability, that limit a consumer's right to sue, which is what this clause tries to do, that limit damages that can be paid if there is a breach of a a duty or breach of a law. In standard form contracts, which is what this contract is, it's a standard contract that's put to buildings on a take it or leave it basis, and I do hear owners complain about that, the provisions of the Australian Consumer Law apply to declare the terms unfair and therefore unenforceable if anyone attempts to rely on them. And you can actually apply to the court for a declaration that the term is unfair. And if the court makes that declaration, then wherever that term appears in any of these contracts, it is void. So, That's something that may be of interest to listeners not even just in the context of a strata manager's contract but in the context of lots of different contracts you might be dealing with in your strata scheme where a standard form contract is put to you and it's got fine print and you're told just to sign it and no, we do not negotiate – Then you can take some comfort from the fact that if you do end up in trouble, if you do end up in a situation where you may need to sue the party that you're contracting with and that party tries to rely on one of these clauses to say you don't have a right to sue me because you signed this contract which is incredibly unfair – you could be in a position with proper legal advice and representation to have that clause set aside and to be able to make the claim that you want to make. So just interesting to see those versions changing in such a short mm. space of time. You know, I'm not privy to why that might be the case. You know, commercial parties obviously attempt to protect themselves and put themselves in a in a strong position, but I don't think there'd be too many owners out there who are picking these things up and certainly not going to the time and trouble to find out whether or not that that's legal.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting um, thing that Amanda, that you raised, Amanda. I actually haven't really gone through the agency agreement in that level of detail to see that the liability limitations had been... Um, expanded. Expanded, yeah. yeah. So um, I will actually look into that and see if we can provide some feedback. Um.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, and what I am going to do is put a link in the show notes to to a guidebook, which I've actually found quite useful. It's a guidebook put out by the ACCC and it's a a quick reference guide to unfair contract terms. And it sort of goes into in a little bit more detail what I have been summarising here for you today. So I'll put a link to that guide in the show notes if you want to find out more about what unfair contract terms are and if you think you have them in your contract, what you can do about them. Okay. So what's been your win for this week, Rena? Well, my win has been helping some owners in a large scheme
1: which I I don't manage and they came to me just for consulting
0: services and
1: basically they had issues with A particular chairperson who, you know, I think we've spoken about this example in a few different episodes, you Mm. know, where people assume carriage of all the affairs of the owners' corporation. They start not to share information Mm. with the other committee members. They wouldn't – this is obviously a large scheme with 100 lots. All the boxes had to be in 24 hours before and they wouldn't even show it to any of the other committee members, all the proxies that were received. And mm. anyway, so I just, um, in a sense, just getting some advice about one of the provisions in the Act for proxies now where it's actually per person and not per lot, the five uh, yes. percent. Yes. And so I sort of explained per person could mean really any person. So it could be your mother, brother, sister, neighbour, anybody, anyone. Yeah, so can anybody
0: off. can hold a proxy.
1: Mm. Yep, that's so, correct. Yeah, so in a sense, they then were grateful because the strata manager had told them incorrect advice and yeah, so they were able to sort of um, get the numbers and um, Mm. get themselves on the committee and it was actually quite a a good outcome at the end of it. But I think the meeting went till about 10.30 or 11 that night. Oh my
0: goodness. (laughs) You know, I've attended meetings like that, but the fact is when lawyers are at meetings, then there are real problems. So it's not unusual that I would attend meetings that go till 10.30 or 11 at night, but really they should not be going on that long. That's not nice for anybody. No, no, but um, it happens sometimes. It does. It does. So yeah, good point. That's been raised with me before as well. Uh, I have had some strata managers and lot owners who've been under the mistaken impression that only an owner can hold a proxy. The legislation does, as you say, Reena, very clearly say that a proxy is held by a person and in schemes of 20 lots or less, one person can hold one proxy. More than 20 lots, one person can hold the equivalent of 5% of the number of lots in proxies. So, a good revision there for us. Yeah, I think um, I think these things only come up I think as Time
1: evolves, and you know, and sometimes usually there's a contentious issue, and that's when I think you you see the issue of proxies really coming up. But on the whole, mm. you know, it's not normally a problem for people to have you know one or two proxies if it's five, yeah, you know, and that usually is within that five percent limit for the larger scheme. But mm. and for the smaller schemes, what we do when we send out our agenda, we actually tell people that you know, as you are a small scheme of 20 lots orders, you can only have one proxy assigned to you as a person, so we yeah. actually let them know so that, Perfect. and then when the proxy does come in, um, and the Say it's a chairperson, they receive more than one proxy, then we let the person that's given them that proxy know that that proxy can't be used and they, if they wish to assign it to somebody else. So. Yep,
0: yep. Fabulous. That is a good best practice. Yeah. Okay. My win for this week, uh, I have been able to help out a listener who approached me with a question that... To me, it is very simple and very easy to answer, but it's a really good example of something that trips people up simply because of terminology. And that was the question of what is a dealing? We're always talking about dealings. We're talking about the registration of dealings. What in the world is a dealing? Well, I was able to direct that listener to a page on the Land and Property Information New South Wales website and there is a really short description there of exactly what a dealing is. I'll put a link to that page in the show notes for this episode, but in my own words, a dealing is a document that's registered on the title. And if we're talking about strata buildings, we talk about the common property title and that's where you have your unit entitlements recorded and you have your address for service and things like that. People can do a title search and look at how many lots there are in your scheme and see if there are any dealings registered on the title that affect the ownership or the rights to use the property. So some examples of a dealing include bylaws. Bylaws are dealings. They affect rights to use the property. Transfers are dealings. So on your own title, the title to your lot, there will be a transfer recorded which records the purchase of your lot. So it will have your details there as the transferee at the time, and you can search historical transfers so that you can see who's bought and sold the property over time. A mortgage is a dealing. So you may have a mortgage registered on the title to your lot. Uh, Leases are dealings. So you may have a lease registered and going back to the common property title, you might have something like a, a lease to a telco so that they could have their telephone tower situated on your common property. So that'd be another kind of dealing that's registered on the common property title. When I talk about searching the title, we can do that as lawyers online. We have agents that we're associated with and we can log on to the system and search for titles and get copies of those. And otherwise you can contact land and property information directly and you can do a search through their website as well. You you pay a small fee and you can get copies of dealings and titles and things like that. So if anybody was wondering, that's what a dealing is. And as I said, I'll give you a link in the show notes to LPI's own short description about dealings. So that's your legal 101 for the day. Oh, that's good, Amanda. Yeah.
1: I think um, a lot of strata managers and owners would find that quite useful to understand, you know, where to find that on the illustrative title and mm. yeah, get that number and then um, be able to actually... Um, Investigate what the dealing is, and yeah, what I do is like in our company, we keep a record of all the dealing numbers and um, like in a summary sheet so that we know that each dealing when it was passed and what it's about is a quick reference point. So, um, it's just good for all of us in the office to access that information quite quickly. So, we have yeah, every dealing number when it was registered and then what it's about. So, they'd have to actually open the dealing, could be like a bylaw, you know, Mm. addition, like I said, or an easement, yeah, Yeah, easement, or a Telstra um, lease, like You mentioned before telecommunication tower leases, etc. So that it's such a good quick summary for anyone to have a look at. So yeah,
0: good idea. The other thing that I want to mention before we sign off is that oh, it's probably in a couple of days' time once this episode goes to air. But SCA New South Wales is hosting its Principals' Night Off. They're calling it the PNO. No, it is not a cruise. It is an evening in the Blue Mountains, which uh, I think, Rena, I'm going to be seeing you there. Yeah, I'll be going there. Yeah, definitely. Excellent, excellent. And they uh, the intent is to have business owners, industry leaders in strata, take a night off hear from a couple of interesting experts, of which I am one, and take some time to work on their business rather than in their business. And I think there might even be a spot of yoga in the morning on Friday. And I'm looking forward to that. That's for the women, Amanda. I suppose for the women.
1: Yeah, the men, I think there's golf range for men. Oh. It's at the Fairmont Resort. Oh,
0: lovely. Are the men allowed to do yoga and the women allowed to play golf if they want? <laughs> of course. Oh, good. Of I'm course. very glad. <laughs> not that I'm a golfer. <laughs> I'll be doing yoga. I'm not sure where you'll be, Rena. Are you a golfer? <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, we're looking forward to it uh, and if that sounds like it's uh, up anybody's alley, then um, head over to the SCA New South Wales website and check that out. I know it's only a couple of days until – I haven't even said the date. I think it's the 9th of November, isn't it, Rena? Yeah, Thursday the 9th. Thursday the 9th of November. I'm sure they've still got some spots if you haven't heard about that yet and want to uh, take a night in the Blue Mountains with Rena and I. Yeah. <laughs> and many others. Yes. I think that's it for this week. Anything else, Rena? No, all good, Amanda. Thank you. All good. See you in the Blue Mountains. Okay, see you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?